There we go. Good morning. It's, um, it's a pleasure to be able to open Psalm 139 with you this morning and to um, watch that video and consider the legacy of this church in honoring life. One of the things that we like to do is part of the church is uh, each year we, we have a, a, a Sunday celebrating and commemorating life and often we go down to the March for Life. We weren't able to do that this year because it wasn't uh, held, uh, at least in person downtown. But I did come across this sign that was a good kind of March for Life sign. Do we have that? Can we show that? There we go. Protect the child. This is the way. Thank you, Mando. And I love going to the March for Life because I love how many high school students are there. And I love seeing the legacy of honoring life being passed generation to generation. And of all the places we could go in the Bible, I don't know of a more um, wonderful place to go to meditate on the glories of life in the womb than Psalm 139, which Marjorie mentioned in the video. And that's our text for this morning. So we're going to be in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 18. So please open there. And Ruth Joe is going to come and read the passage for us. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Thank you, Ruth. Let's pray. And as I do that, I know that when we come to the topic of abortion, it's a sensitive t topic and a sensitive subject. And I hope that for every person watching and every person here, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will abound to you, whatever your experience has been related to this. Let, let's pray. Oh God, we do pray that you would draw near to us now. We pray that you would greatly empower the hearing of your living words to us in Psalm 139. I pray for some, there's a need for persuasion, for others, encouragement, for others, stirring up, for others, the grace of washing and forgiveness. I pray that you who knows each person full well, for you who made each person hearing me, each one fearfully and wonderfully made, I pray that you would draw near to and minister to personally each one in the way they need today for your glory. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, let's think about where we are. To be a growing Christian means to learn to make judgments about your culture. To be a growing Christian, you have to learn how to think about the world in which you live. Because what happens is Jesus' people migrate from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. There's a, a transfer from kingdom to kingdom. And those kingdoms have two very different cultures. And so we migrate out of one culture into another culture, and yet we still live in the midst of that, that initial culture that we lived in. And the reality is every culture that you participate in in the world is some blend of 
common grace, where there, there are reflections of the character of God in, in every culture, but also every culture in some ways suppresses God's truth and believes lies. So for us as Christians, if we don't learn how to tell the difference between the grace that's in our culture and the lies that are in our culture, what we can end up doing is just be, being very superficial. It's like just pasting some Christian veneer over the top of a, of a worldly value system in our thinking and in our living. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, the question for us this morning is this. Do we know how to think biblically, Christianly about abortion? Do we know how to think in the kingdom of God about this topic? 48 years ago, as Marjorie mentioned in the video, January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court decided the Roe versus Wade case, which effectively legalized abortion in this country. So abortion has become normal, so normal that in 2017, which is the last year I could find statistics, there were an estimated 862,000 abortions in this country. Now, I just want you to hold that number in contrast to how many people have died from COVID in the last 12 months. About 430,000. So 862,000 in one calendar year, 430,000 COVID deaths in a 12-month period. And yet, look at the differing responses in our culture to abortion and to COVID, and you get an idea of the landscape in which we live. Abortion is actually the leading cause of death in the world today. Abortion has become normal, but normal doesn't always mean good, does it? And legal doesn't always mean right, does it? So I want to ask the question this morning, how did our culture get here? How did we become a place where the cultural narrative is that nice people with good hearts abort children? That's normal in our culture. How did we get here? And I want to just point to, to four sort of pillars of the, the cultural narrative that, that has taken root in the world in which we live. First is this individualism. You be you. The idea here is that the good life means you pursuing your own path no matter what. That then leads to the second, which is freedom. What is freedom? The different definitions. Freedom in the, in the world in which we live today is often thought of as this way. I have the right to choose whatever makes me happy. I have the right to choose whatever makes me happy. That's what I need to be free. And so then that leads to the third pillar, happiness. What is happiness? Where do you find happiness? Well, happiness in our world today means looking inside. Follow your heart. Happiness comes not from outside of you, from a, a transcendent God or some, some absolute truth out there somewhere, but it comes from being authentic and true to your heart. And those all, those three dominoes then make abortion then able to be thought of as a safe way to end pregnancy. And every woman has a right to make that choice because of the individualism, freedom, and happiness that are prized in our culture. This is a way of thinking that's pervasive in our culture, but it's also a way of thinking that's radically anti-Christian. It's incompatible with Christianity. And to see why we can read our Bibles widely, we can also zero in on Psalm 139, verses 13 to 18. Here is a poetic meditation on life in a mother's womb. 
So back to Psalm 139, please. Verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So here is David, the author, reflecting on who he is and how he came to be. Now remember, this is poetry. And when you read poetry, it's not like reading a, a, a textbook or a, a, a cookbook. Poetry is intended to convey pictures and mood. And so when you read poetry, you want to ask, what's the picture? What are the images that we're given here? And what's the mood of, 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 of what's uh, in front of us here? And so what do we have here? For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Well, here's a picture of a, of a craftsman at work forming a body. Here's a picture of a knitter at work creating a person. My wife, Leslie, love, loves to knit. And when she, she knits, she focuses on what she's doing. And there's this intentionality about it. I, I like to build things out of wood. I like to cra craft and create things. There's this focus. There's this intention and this, this creative production of something that didn't used to be there that now comes into existence. So here's a picture in verse 13 of intentional design. Think about that. This is not random chance. This isn't just some natural process. This is intentional design of purpose with artistic skill, and this is all taking place inside a mother's womb. The person in the womb is the same person writing the psalm. And here we see, just even in this verse, encapsulated the same anthropology, the same understanding of what it means to be a human being that we find everywhere in Scripture. The summary of what it means to be a human being in Scripture is a created person. Someone made in the image of God, unique from all the rest of creation, and made in the image of God by a maker, a designer, a creator, God. Now, Abortion is sometimes justified by arguing that this fetus isn't a person until some particular time, until maybe it's viable outside the womb. But that's a little problematic because that time keeps decreasing with technology. Or a person, a fetus isn't a person until it's able to make rational decisions and, 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 and reason, which is problematic because that means infants who can't make decisions could be killed or people with Alzheimer's could be killed. And that is a fundamentally different way of thinking about human life and life in the womb than we see right here, because here we see no discontinuity between this person who's writing and the person in the, in the womb. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Here's this scene of artistic craftsmanship. And then in verse 14, we get a response David is reflecting on, on what he observes here. Look at this. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now let's ask about mood. What's the mood here? Well, this is a mood of joy, reflecting on how he came into, into being as a human being and how God put him together results in this joyful th thanksgiving. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I wonder when you look in the mirror, what do you see? And how do you respond to what you see? How do you feel about yourself? How do you think about who you are? I don't know about you, but I think about myself constantly. If I'm honest, I'm thinking about myself all the time. How do I feel? 
What am, I, what am I gonna eat next? Can I get a nap this afternoon? I'm constantly thinking about myself. I'm constantly comparing myself with others. How am I doing? Am I doing better or worse? Am I, and so I find there are constant reflections and ruminations about myself. Here's a reflection about oneself. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about that. He's saying I praise you for me. But he's saying it in an utterly different way than we typically think and say and hear things like that. The point of reference here is God. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made by you, O God. I know this is my identity. My identity is determined by something I didn't do and by someone that I'm not. It's not determined by my accomplishments in this world. It's not determined by what people say about me. It's determined by God's creative work in making me to be fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you ever, have you ever said that about yourself? I, I praise you, God, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. This body and soul, this thing that we call you, it's spectacular. It outshines every computer, every machine, everything else that's in the universe. Just, just ponder for a moment your skin. So many things we could think about, about the, the, the fearful and wonderful wonders of, uh, of, of who you are, but think about your skin for a moment. It's, it's flexible, right? It's amazing, it's flexible. It, 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 it bends and stretches. It's breathable. And yet it's also waterproof, but way better than Gore-Tex. Man, Gore-Tex has nothing on your skin. It's incredible. And it's, it's unique. You've, you've got a fingerprint that's different than anybody else that's ever been created in the, in the history of the world. That, that wrapper on your body is so much better than the siding on our house that needs to be replaced because it's 50 years old, right? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You could meditate on the spectacular creation of a human body for eons, never get to the end of it. So he contemplates this creative work by God that brings him into existence and makes him who he is. And he says, God, I, I praise you for that. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. And then there's, in verse 15, in the beginning of 16, sort of an expansion on, let's go back to the womb and reconsider a little more about what's going on there. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Remember, this is, this is poetry. This is not a scientific uh, description of what's happening here. This is a, a poetic reflection. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. He starts with my frame, my my bone structure, this, this framework for who I am. Where was God when you were in your mother's womb? This, this part of the psalm is, isn't so much reflecting on who's, who's doing the creating as where the creator is when this is all happening. And he's saying in that secret hidden place, in that small and dark space, God is there. This, this reflection becomes sort of a trampoline for what you can read earlier in the psalm. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? The idea is if God could be with me at the very beginning of the, uh, of the creation of my life, he's going to be with me wherever I go. In this place, your unformed substance is becoming you. 
This word for unformed substance is the Hebrew word golem. One author said that's where J.R.R. Tolkien got the name for Gollum. This unformed substance, this golem that's becoming you is an embryo that's beginning to divide and, and multiply and sprout and, and, and arms develop and legs and a heart and, and a heart that starts beating. And you can call this a zygote or an embryo or a fetus, but I hear this. The spirit-inspired author simply calls it me. That's me in the womb. See, for abortion to work, you have to dehumanize the baby so that it doesn't feel like murder. Instead, it's a choice. But the picture here is of a fully human person woven in the secret places by God. The poetry here is highlighting first that God shapes every cell of your being. And second, that God is there, oh so present, even in the dark. This is why ultrasounds are so powerful. As you heard and saw in the video, and my wife Leslie, who serves at one of these pregnancy centers, sees on a regular basis the power of what happens when someone actually sees what's going on in that secret place. This isn't random chance. This is God at work. On the seventh day, God rested from his work, and yet he continues the work of creating human beings every day. Here in this mother's womb is the aroma of Christ. John 1, all things were made through him through the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, all things were made. And without him was not anything made that was made, and that includes you. Ponder then Christmas. The Son of God, through whom all things are made, is conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. Mary's womb becomes a workshop where the Lord, our Redeemer, the God-man Jesus is knit together, fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder if Mary had dropped into the local Planned Parenthood office in Nazareth. I wonder what the counselor would have advised this unwed mother to do about her unplanned pregnancy. It's a life. Verse 16b. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. In your book were written, how many? Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. I love the looking ahead that takes place here. See what's happening? He's saying, I was an unformed substance, but I've been formed, fearfully and wonderfully made by my God. But he didn't just form this body structure and, and breathe into it life 
with a soul, he actually formed all my days at the same time. God is not only forming your life, God also forms your future. In the message, Eugene Peterson writes it this way, Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Here is magnificent sovereignty. The day that you woke up to today, this snowy day, this day was one of the days formed for you in God's, and recorded in God's book before you'd even lived one day. The sovereign work and purposes of the creator in your creation, in your making, can give you great confidence that this God who loves you, who was with you, and who created you in your mother's womb will also love you and be with you and walk with you and sustain you through every day of your life. There's no place you can flee from his presence. And here's the, once more the response Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. That word precious is a word like we would use for a precious stone, a gem, a diamond. Your thoughts, O God, each one is so valuable, so worth considering, so infinitely deep and awesome and great. And yet, there isn't just one great thought. There are a vast number of thoughts. There are so many, they're like the sand. Have you ever just scooped up a, a bunch of sand at the beach? Just imagine being at the beach with a, with a scoop of, uh, of sand in your hand and trying to count how many granules of sand are right there in your hand. And then think about trying to count how many are on the East Coast. And he's saying, God's thoughts toward you and people like you are more than that and more precious than that. Uncountable. You ever, you ever pondered God's thoughts towards you? He had thoughts when he created you. Thoughts of good works he's prepared in advance for you. Thoughts of pardon and forgiveness. Thoughts to feed you and educate you and clothe you, to uphold you and strengthen you and provide for you. Thoughts to sanctify you. Thoughts to adopt you into his family. Thoughts to one day bring you home. Now, we don't live in a world governed by simply the forces of nature and random chance. Our world is governed by a thinking personal, creating, saving God. Oh, church, behold your God. And you know, if this is true of David, he was fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in his mother's womb. I wonder, is that true of you too? I wonder, is that true of people in your workplace, people you go to school with. I wonder, is that true of the people who drive you crazy that you see on the news, that neighbor that bothers you? Is it true of people you've never met in other parts of the world? And I would say it has to be. Is there any other pathway to becoming human 
than being knit together by God. One commentator protested that this is poetry and it can't be proof that abortion is wrong. I would say, well, why not? Does poetry not convey truth? Surely this text teaches us that God has lovingly thought of each person and, and lovingly formed and fashioned each person from unformed substance all the way through to the end of our days. And how comforting to know that if he was present at our creation, present in that secret place of our earliest development, he will be with us now and always. And I think that's why he moves in this meditation of this kind of funny sideways direction. He says, when I awake, I am still with you. Why does he say that? When I awake from sleep, I'm still with you. When I awake from a meditation on who I am, I'm still with you. I wonder if there isn't even a hint of resurrection in this line. I think of Jesus three days sleeping in Joseph's tomb. He awakes to resurrection life and God is still with him. I think of Frank Ecklebarger who took his last breath and fell asleep. But when he awoke, he woke in the Father's house in the presence of his God. One day, O saints, you will take your last breath. And when you awake, he will still be with you. You will be with him forever. What a sweet meditation. What do we do with this? Where do we go with these verses? Let me offer three implications. Since we are fearfully and wonderfully made, if you get anything out of this message, just get this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by a wise, loving, and great, and sovereign God. Since we are fearfully and wonderfully made, first, let us reject our culture's abortion narrative. As we listen to God speaking to us through Psalm 139, what conclusions do we come to? Again, to make abortion a respectable procedure that nice people participate in, you've got to, you've got to de-emphasize God and you've got to dehumanize the baby. But Psalm 139 exposes those two ways of thinking as both faulty and false. So in response to expressive individualism, we say, no, we embrace radical dependence upon the God who formed our inward parts. We believe that freedom comes not from having the right to choose whatever makes us happy, but freedom comes from worshiping and loving and serving and obeying the God who personally knit us together in our mother's womb. That's how you become free. That's the truth that sets you free. Happiness is not found pursuing your own heart and being true to your own heart. Happiness is found in being true to the one who made our hearts, in being true to the one who comes and says, I am the truth. 
That's where you find happiness, in following him. And abortion is simply not a way to safely end a pregnancy. It's a way to end a fearfully and wonderfully made life. And it's a way to bring catastrophic effects on the souls of the mother and the father and the doctor and the nurse and every human being involved in that procedure. In the ending, a murder of that life. It's catastrophic in the effect that it has on the people who are involved. And I say this as someone who was willing to be involved. When I was in high school, I believed all these things. There was a time when my girlfriend thought that she was pregnant and I would have been the father. So I went with her to a clinic where she got a test. And if she had tested positive, we planned to figure out how to get an abortion. Because that's what you did. That's how we thought. Thankfully, she wasn't pregnant. And that ended there. And yet it didn't. Because in my heart, I was willing to go and end a fearfully and wonderfully made life. I was ignorant. I was foolish. I didn't know. But I thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank God that this God who knows me full well not only made me aware by his grace of that faulty, selfish, murderous way of thinking, but he sent his son to decisively take care of all that sin and all that guilt and all that shame that I deserved. And that good news is available for every one of you. There is no guilt, there is no crime, there is no sin that's beyond the reach of Christ's grace. And for every believer, every shameful, guilty act, thought, behavior that you've participated in, in has been decisively dealt with by Jesus Christ at the cross and all the mercy and forgiveness in the universe is available to you here and now. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and as the one who pardons and washes and cleanses and forgives you, come to him today for those things. That's the good news in the face of the world we live in. Second, let us respond to God with praise and trust. Let us take our cues from David, the author of this psalm. The, listen, if, if God was present for your good in your mom's belly, he can be with you now and always. Learn to think like this psalm. The truths of what happened in your womb are like a trampoline that, that spring forth hope and assurance throughout and praise throughout your life. Wonderful are your works. What God makes in the womb is wonderful. And he's made you. And you know what? I'm not turning a blind eye to trouble and problems. I know things don't always work out. I know that life is sometimes cut short. I know that children are born with disabilities and, 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 and problems. In 1985, Leslie was pregnant with our first child. 32 weeks into the pregnancy, we went together for the checkup and there was no heartbeat. 
The baby had died. Don't know why. Still don't know why. If you go to Fortuna, California, there's a cemetery on a windy hill, and there's a There's a tombstone there with Sarah Mullery's name on it. And on the stone it says this, wonderful are your works. Because our great and loving creator in the midst of our grief and those hot tears, trying to deal with the loss of this little girl that we never got to know, he helped us see that even there, she was fearfully and wonderfully made. And we were able, by his grace, to turn to him and say, yes, Lord. Her life isn't what we hoped for or expected. But you are good and wonderful are your works. And oh, what a reunion there will be. God knows everything about you and is always present with you because he made you. If you're a follower of Christ, that is the most comforting and assuring thing. But depending on who you are, that may not be good news because the reality is there are no secrets before this creative sovereign and holy God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that he washes and cleanses and forgives so that God knowing everything about you becomes a source of not fear that's threatening, but a source of joy and hope. And what that means is there is nothing that you've done that's so terrible and wrong that you have to hide it forever. It's not hidden from God. Christ has dealt with all your crimes, guilt, and shame. You're a new creation in Christ. And we want Redeeming Grace Church to be a safe place so that no one who comes amongst us and lives here as part of this community has to feel the need to hide anything from the shame of that sin because we are a company of forgiven sinners. Third, let us represent God in the world in life-affirming ways. Um, I, need a, I need a Kleenex, sorry. Excuse me. Thanks. Actually, I might need two. All right. Let's be as clear as possible about this. Every human being is made in God's image. Every human being is made in God's image, fearfully and wonderfully made, and therefore worthy of dignity and respect and protection. And so we want to be a people who are consistently pro-life, whether it's pro-life and those lives are elderly lives or sex trafficked kids or illegal immigrants or incarcerated people. We want to be a consistently pro-life church. Having said that, we see unborn children as uniquely vulnerable, 
uniquely unable to speak up for themselves, and uniquely targeted for death by unjust laws that break God's law. The sixth commandment says clearly, you shall not kill, you shall not take innocent life. So let's be as clear as possible about this. Unborn lives in mother's wombs are human lives created in workshops by our great God, fearfully and wonderfully made. For this reason, I believe that social justice starts with justice for the unborn. And I want to say, please hear me on this, this is not about being a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or anything else. It's about being a Christian. Plain and simple. We have a responsibility to be loyal to our Creator and to represent Him in the world in which we live. And the reality is, of course, many people made in the image of God mistreat and even kill people made in the image of God. And this must be acknowledged, and wherever we can, we must speak to this and resist this. This explains, if you read the rest of the psalm, there's this strange turn in verses 19 through 22. This is David saying he's committed to resisting people who are disloyal to their creator, and we want to do the same. So let me offer four simple pathways or possibilities for how we can represent God in life-affirming ways in our world. First is to pray, is to pray. Listen, don't underestimate the power of prayer. The God who turned your unformed substance into the person you are today can turn the minds of a whole nation away from abortion towards being a life-affirming people. We saw this happen with slavery. There was a time in this country and in England and other countries when slavery was considered normal and something that nice people did. Not that way anymore. Go read about William Wilberforce. What a wonderful Christian hero who for more than 20 years labored in the British House of Commons until the tide was turned. It changed then and it can change again. Let us be a people of faith and prayer in this. Second, get involved where God leads you. It takes many levels of engagement and involvement to, 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 to protect life and to bring change in a culture like ours. So support your local crisis pregnancy center. I would encourage everybody I know to give financially to CareNet and or to Sanctity of Life Ministries. It, volunteer there if you can. I know a number of you are involved in fostering and in adoption. That's wonderful. Those are wonderful ways to participate. If you have questions, ask, and we'll get you connected with somebody about that. I want to encourage you to, some are advocating for change in the legal system. Some write or blog or post in life-affirming ways. Ask God how he might want you to be involved. Third, I want to just say this. Pass the torch. Pass the torch. There are... There are champions for life in this church. Precious, Chris, Nancy, Rebecca, Jordan, Stacy, Leslie, John, Martha, Bethany, Vince, Kevin, Laura, so, uh, so many. I, I'm, I'm going to have to leave so many out. I want to first say thank you, Adam. Thank you for the life-affirming lives that you live. Thank you for living this way. I want to encourage you to find somebody to pass that passion and these values on to. Think about, pray about, Lord, who can I impart this to? Who can I encourage in this? Who can I disciple in this? John, thank you. Who, who can we pass these things on to? And if, you're, if you want to be a, somebody who's receiving, 
being mentored by somebody, meeting with someone who's, who's involved in these things, let us know. We'd be, we would love to get you connected. Whether you're in the medical field, whether you're interested in crisis pregnancy centers, whether you're interested in the legal side of things, there, there's a range of people in, in, in the church here. We'd love to help you get connected with them. And finally, just this, just be a safe person. There are people in our church, I don't know who they are, but just knowing the size of our church, I can assume. There are people in our church. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people that you work with. There are people that you go to school with. There are people who have secrets, who walk around with secrets, shame, and guilt, things they've never shared out of fear of rejection. May the aroma of Christ be so sweet in our lives. May the grace and mercy of Christ abound so increasingly and widely in our lives that we would be the kind of people that when someone's ready to open up and share with, they would want to do that and feel like they could do that with us. The gospel can make us that kind of person. the band would come up, we're going to close by singing. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. It's appropriate when reflecting on God's creation of life, it's appropriate to sing in response to that. And we're singing to the maker to our creator who is the Lord of life. And so you'll find the second verse of the song particularly powerful as we reflect on what we've just been reading. So let's stand together and let's sing.